In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place. Welcome to the Daily Memphian Tigers podcast. I'm Jonah Jordan. Today I'm joined by Don Wade, um, a writer for us here. He covers sports, he covers a variety of things, Redbirds, Grizzlies, and chips in with the Tigers as well. Uh, how are you doing today, Don? Good, good. How about you? I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm glad to finally get you back on the podcast. It's been a minute since we've been together, um, and we haven't even talked basketball since then. So since we've last talked, I think the, or the Tigers finished up the season um, they made an NIT bid, or had an NIT bid. They lost in the second round to uh, Creighton. What did you think of the overall season? Because some people, well, including me, didn't put much stock into it. You know, I didn't put much stock into it. It's Penny's first year as a new roster, and he was filling his way out. What did you think of it? I mean, I think it ultimately went about like I thought it would go. I didn't really think that there was a, a path for them to be an NCAA tournament team. As the season went along, uh, I think one of the, the constants was that inconsistency was a constant right oh yeah they get hot for a minute and then uh, they wouldn't look very good and you know you kind of saw familiar patterns when they didn't when they didn't look very good the shooting would kind of go away there would maybe questions of of effort or engagement with with some players they struggled on the road so that told you even if they got into the NIT once they got away from FedEx yeah. form, it might not last too long. So, I mean, it ultimately went about like I thought it would. Yeah, and it, those inconsistencies were strange because you'd see this one team in the forum who was fantastic. It was they're running up and down the floor, Jeremiah Martin's doing his thing, and then they leave. And what was the game? Tulane that they lost, and it was just like, this isn't the same team we saw a few weeks ago or a few days ago. And... I don't know what to attribute that to. Um, I don't think I, you can totally attribute it to Penny's coaching. I think he definitely changed some things down the stretch that kind of got them going on the road a little bit. What do you think of his Well, I was just going to say that yeah. if I was going to quibble with anything he did or didn't do, it was that it, it took too long, I think, for him to put the ball back in Jeremiah yeah. Martin's hands. And that – well, that was a game changer. Had he not done that, they wouldn't have made the NIT, right? No, the they wouldn't have. It could have gone very wrong. Had he done it pretty much from the beginning, then they might have legitimately been on the NCAA tournament bubble. Yeah, and speaking of Jeremiah Martin, he's playing in the Portsmouth Invitational this week. He's played pretty well so far. Um, I think we'll, we'll, he'll be a guy we see in the G League over the next few years. Maybe even gets a shot for the hustle. Um where do you think he ranks in the overall? How do you think his legacy is going to be? Where do you think he is for Memphis fans? Because you know he never made a tournament, but he played for three different coaches. He stayed. He kind of has usher helped usher them into a new era. But like nobody's going to be calling for Jeremiah Martin's jersey to be retired. I don't think. Do you think? I, I think whether it's professional sports or college sports, if you're a part of championship teams, you probably get a little more credit than you should. And you can you can look at the NFL and and see that like almost entire offensive lines from the Pittsburgh Steelers or whatever you yeah, know going to yeah. the Hall of Fame because of all their <laughs> championships. And if you aren't a part of a championship era, if you know, and obviously he wasn't close to being part of anything no. like that, then your legacy over time sometimes can get a little bit lost. Although I think in his case, because 
He was so incredible for a stretch of time in his senior season. It may have a little bit more staying power, and I think and it, it probably shouldn't matter, but I think it will if he's able to carve out a little bit of an NBA career for I himself. I wish he could. I really wish he could. I think that would go a long ways toward kind of cementing the legacy at Memphis, right? It keeps him top of mind. Yeah, yeah and he's definitely – he's always a guy that's been Memphis, Memphis, Memphis. The only time he ever entertained transferring – it was a really difficult decision for him. Things weren't going well. Every, well, everything was going wrong. It was last year. They had just lost Cincinnati on national TV. Um, I don't think he was really agreeing with how Tubby Smith was approaching him and his teammates. And, you know, he seriously considered it. And I don't think it was something he wanted to do, but he ended up staying. And then after that, and once Penny got the job especially, he never thought about it again. I think if he does end up... No matter what happens in the NBA, whatever happens at the next level, he's going to be a guy that reps Memphis. But you're right. Like, Memphis fans want – they want Chris Douglas Roberts' jersey retired. They want Antonio Anderson's jersey retired. They want Joey Dorsey's jersey retired. And those are all championship – or guys that were on that championship team. And I guess it does mean we'll probably in a few years have a different opinion of Jeremiah Martin. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like when you talk about any sports hall of fame. You know, what's, what's the criteria you're going to use? Where are you going to – draw the line do you say the line is Penny Hardaway Larry Finch and then it gets tougher after that or do you make it real big and include a lot of people I uh, to get back to you know what Jeremiah is trying to do now and you know catch some notice from NBA people I think it's all going to come down to the consistency of his three-point shot and you know the Grizzlies and I'm going to say I'm going to use the word kind because that's what I think it was they were kind enough to let Dusty Hanna's have a couple of NBA <laughs> games. It was kind of a rule. It was almost like a lifetime achievement award for his work in two years with the Memphis yeah. Hustle because, you know, he's got some some skills, but he's not an NBA player. He just, yeah. he just isn't. So it, it was nice they let him have that minute, and then they, they cut him, and he can go overseas and, and do well oh, for, yeah. a, for a long time. Jeremiah, I think, can definitely put up numbers in the G League. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But can he ultimately – work in a restricted rotation role in the NBA where you're going to come in and you're going to get nine minutes one night and you're going to get 13 minutes yep. another and you're going to get you a DNP coach's twice. decision. The next, you know, that's a, not everybody can survive mm-hmm. in that kind of situation. So he, I think he's a pretty tough-minded kid, but that's a whole other level of, of making it yep. work. How long have you been covering the Tigers? I covered them some going when I first came to Memphis with the commercial appeal. This is how long ago it was. Tick Price okay. was the coach. You've Marcus, it was Mar- okay. Marcus Moody era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I can remember going over to the pyramid uh, to practices and and interviewing people and, and seeing games. So off and on, you know, since the late nineties. So do you remember a time? Because for me, I don't think I ever remember a time where people are this excited about a season. Maybe that's just because. My, I'm looking through a, a lens where Tubby Smith and Josh Pastner, and those are my most recent memories. But I don't remember a time where people were this hyped and this excited about people that are coming in, and this there's this much focus on it. Well, it's it's juxtaposition, okay? I mean, there was tremendous excitement when things were rolling under John Calipari, and people yeah. knew that team had the potential to do what it ultimately did, which is go play for an NCAA championship. The difference is. All this excitement with Penny is coming after really dark times 
when only four or 5,000 people were showing up for games. Oh, it wasn't even that many. Yeah, if that many at FedEx Forum. And, you know, look at all the stories you're doing now oh, yeah. on basketball recruiting and all the clicks they're generating because people are totally into it. There was nothing to write about Tubby Smith <laughs> recruiting. I mean, brutal. I'm not trying to be mean here, but it's just, oh, okay, they're, you know, they're – they're in the hunt for the 223rd, you yeah. know, best, maybe Two, best guy, maybe right? Maybe the 15th best yeah, Juco player out there. So it's entirely different in that way. And, you know, I've always said that, you know, the way coaches get judged is based on where the expectations are set at the beginning. And let's be fair in this way, too. There was a point in time when people gave Josh Pastner a lot of latitude because oh, they yeah. were – they wanted the program to prove it could survive and be relevant after John Calipari. People were hurt when he left and took recruits yeah. with him. And then when it became obvious that Josh wasn't going to be able to get to that next level and get you to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament, they were kind of fed up and they were ready for something else. You know, Penny had you know, kind of his own unique honeymoon period. He's still in it, but – people are ready are going to be ready with the yeah. recruiting class he has coming in to see delivery on some expectations yeah, next year. I think going into the season it's reasonable to expect, you know, they could have the number one recruiting class in the nation. I think probably after today, after Matthew Hurt commits to Duke, if we're if Matthew Hurt commits to Duke and they get another guy on Monday, they'll have the number one recruiting class and it may be difficult for Memphis to catch them, but there is a situation where they do. They could go and catch Duke and have the number one recruiting class in the nation that has the number one player and maybe another top ten player and guys from Memphis and around here that are pretty great. But I still think expectations are – it's going to be an interesting thing because me and Jeff have talked about it on here before that I think going in – you probably just want to expect an NCAA tournament because if that's what you want, that's all you're expecting, you're not going to be disappointed because you don't know what's going to happen. It's a second-year coach with only four four or five returning players, only two guards that have played legitimate basketball, and it's going to be an adjustment right off the start. I mean, for everybody, it's not going to be – it's going to – not going to be like last year where you had guys coming in that have been like, okay, we've been here before because you did have that right off the beginning. You had Keevan Davenport, but it's an adjustment. So I'm kind of just expecting an NCAA tournament. I don't think it'll, he'll fall short of that, but if he does, that'd, that'd be an interesting conversation because you did mention that honeymoon period that he's still in. Yeah, and one of the things in terms of those returning players I'm most interested to see is with better talent around them that's going to demand more attention – will we see the best of Alex Lomax yeah. and Tyler Harris? I mean, they were simply asked to carry too much load mm. last year for the, for the literally the physical size that they are yeah. and, and where they are in their careers. If there's a lot more talent around them, you know, in a best-case scenario, I can see Alex Lomax being a very effective distributor who takes one shot a game because that's all he ever needs yeah. to take. And you can see Tyler Harris – getting uh, you know truly wide open threes that don't have to be five feet behind the line because so much attention is going elsewhere. And if he can get wide open threes that are just behind the line, which is where most people shoot them, right, <laughs> then he might shoot a pretty good percentage. But so many of his threes were beyond just Tyler, NBA though. range and under pressure yeah. that – you know, a lot of times he was just kind of, you know, wildly gunning out there. I've watched Tyler for a long time, and Tyler Harris will never surprise me. He could pull up from the 
half-court line. I mean, when he's on, he's one of the most on guys I've ever seen. He's not going to miss. He's going to take him from anywhere, and it's going to be amazing. But there are going to be times, two or three times a game, I think Benny's even talked about this, where Tyler takes a shot where it's like, oh, man, you really wish you hadn't done that. I think it was in the – was it the Houston game where he took one that, like – hit the side of the backboard or it was a game or two before that. And it was like, probably should come out. Well, but, and it, you know, the thing with his bad three point attempts are long, turn into very long rebounds and yep. start fast breaks the other way and lead to layups. And sometimes they led to layups and then a, and a foul yep. with that. You know, if you imagine this team competing at a much higher level and the stakes are higher, you can't have that. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, just, like I talked about with Alex Lomax, if there's more talent around him, hopefully he gets, he starts to understand, okay, that what was maybe a shot that was okay to take with last year's team, that's that's not okay now. Yeah, and I'm fascinated with how Penny manages lineups. He's going to have maybe RJ Hampton, who's going to be a, if he comes out in this year's class, he'll be a top five pick. Like, how are you managing playing Alex Lomax and Tyler Harris with another dominant, ball-dominant guard who... Honestly, maybe the best point guard the Tigers have gotten since Derrick Rose. Like, that is, one, an incredible thing to say considering where we were a year and a half ago. But, again, like, you've got recruiting promises to keep. You've got got a lot to juggle going into next season. Do you think this is the most a coach has had to juggle? Because he's juggling expectations. He's juggling playing time rotations. I mean, they've got APR things to worry about. They've got scholarships to worry about. Like, I thought coming into this year he had a lot to, to worry about, but I think it's a lot on a guy who just started coaching Division One basketball, don't you think? Well, look, you know, he himself has said, you know, that he signed up for this and he has no intentions of hiding for competition. He wants to play the best they can play. So I think it it helps him that he wants to just embrace everything and he's, you know, he's not out there trying to dodge anything that's ser- that serves him well and when things if they don't go as well as quickly as people want as long as he doesn't change his stance with things and and go into kind of Josh Pastner everybody but, is good yeah you know. everybody's good defensive and, and kind of running out the same lines which doesn't seem like something Penny's no, gonna won't. do you know then I think he's gonna get the benefit of the doubt for mm-hmm. a good while because if nothing else you know people are coming to games again people care again you know he he rescued the program all right that's the bottom yeah he rescued the program so we, we start there it was going down a really really dark path until penny came out and did this and part of that is his ability to recruit has it surprised you how successful he is right off the rip because i mean i no me either like i, I knew this was going to be part of it that i think some of the national guys that they're involved with like precious achua that's a little bit surprising because that's a guy I mean, he's down in Florida. Um, that's a number eight guy in the nation that North Carolina and Kansas are on. That's a difficult that's a difficult recruitment to get involved with. But the Memphis kids, we knew that was going to happen. So you're not as surprised at all? No, but the thing about recruiting is, you know, there are no silver medals, right? You either, no. <laughs> you, you either get the guy or you don't get the guy. And at a certain point, if you're, you know, so in the hunt, so to say, with these national level players who aren't from Memphis and that you don't really have a strong connection to and you never get them, then people will kind of go, Oh yeah, we we've seen that before. So, I mean, at some point he's, he's going to have to bring a guy home. Yeah. I think that it's interesting that like he went out and did something very smart. He went out and got Mike Miller who had some pretty wide ties 
He got Tony Madlock, who knows how to recruit, and Sam Mitchell. What happens when some of those relationships that he has and that Mike have kind of are gone with national prospects? Something not anybody's thinking about, and that could be maybe not not this year, not 2019, not 2020. What happens in 2021 when maybe, okay, maybe the class in Memphis is down and you're not able to go out and go get those guys? I'm I'm interested to see how he reacts and how he pivots. No, that's a good point, and I think – when you look ahead, and look, there may be a coach or two on this staff that gets a head coaching job elsewhere, Oh yeah, at least for that reason. But if that doesn't happen, there will come a point, because of everything you just said, Jonah, where he may have to tweak the staff to get some inroads into some other players that you know he can't reach otherwise. Yeah, and it's, I think it's probably something that they're thinking about. Because, you know, Mike Miller won't be here forever. I mean, right. that's like Sam Mitchell will eventually get probably an NBA job. Um, I think at least, but those guys aren't going to be here forever. And when he does go have to replace him, I mean, there was a stampede to join the staff when Penny got the job. Like people were calling, 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 calling. And he had an idea of who he wanted for those two spots, Mike Miller and Tony Madlock. And the third spot, he eventually went out and got Sam Mitchell. But like, I don't think that'll be something that changes at this, especially at this rate. The way he's recruiting, the way people view the program, the way he's kind of turned this into Memphis basketball is fun again. Um, I, I don't think that'll change. I think he won't have a trouble hiring anybody that he wants. No, I think he'll be able to to get good assistance. Uh, there's there's no reason to think that'll be a problem. And look, he's got a he's got a far reach. There'll be other guys that you know their NBA careers are ending or. You know, he knows this guy, he knows that guy. He's He's got a network, right? Oh, yeah. his, everybody knows his name. So that, that matters when you're hiring coaches, too. Yeah. But we'll, let's pivot to football a little bit now. I know you were at a few spring practices. Um, you didn't catch any of the spring game, did you? No. No, I was, no, was not there for that. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. I read about it, and what I'm sure of is that we don't want Jeff Calkins calling offensive <laughs> plays next season. I'm positive of that. I told him what to do, and then he went out and did what I told him to do, and then Brady White took over, and I think that it was – if there had been a – Yeah, that if, whole thing could have been a lot worse if you think about it because it was uh, Jeff and Dave Ocean against Jarvis <laughs> Greer and Doc Holliday. Had that been an actual football game, you know, like with physical oh, yeah. contact oh, on man. the field, like those – you know, Jeff and Dave would be in the hospital right now. So it, it could have been worse. They wouldn't have even been close. Jarvis took it seriously. Jarvis was not going to lose that game, and he didn't. But there was actually a game on the field. How much stock do you put in this spring? I don't really put a ton into it. No, I really don't. It's kind of, we were talking about this on the Grizzlies podcast earlier this week, kind of the stats that guys assemble in like, say, the last 15 games of the season when there's a lot of people are getting rest and you're playing against lineups that are not truly representative, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so somebody's got to score the points, right? So, mm-hmm. so the numbers are inflated and they're a little bit artificial. And I kind of look at spring football the same way, spring training baseball. You can take some things from it. But the numbers, per se, I don't put a lot of stock in that. And I know, you know, you wrote about Brady White and, yeah. you know, and Coach Norvell talking about his improvement. But you know what? What does every coach talk about in spring yeah. football? How his key guys have improved since the season ended, right? Yeah. All over the country. There's That's only what, been three months yeah, he, in between the better. end of the season. Yeah. But I take a lot of stock in demeanor. I think that is something that. It matters because this time last year, I don't think necessarily Brady White had completely won everybody over in a lot of ways. And, Are you saying players or? Uh, maybe players, yeah, players. 
Um, the coaching staff loved him. A lot of players loved him. But I think there was some. There was a lot of this guy isn't Riley Ferguson, and that wasn't fair to Brady. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he was necessarily comfortable. He had just come off the the foot injury and all of this other stuff. He had just gotten to Memphis. It was a surprise to some people. Um, so you, he had a lot to deal with in his first year. Well, let me ask you this, because you you may you say you know he wasn't Riley Ferguson. One thing that struck me that was different between those two is just a little bit of rough edges to Riley, which sometimes plays well yeah. with other players. Where Brady is like. You know, not he's a obviously. Robot. He's not like Tom Brady and his level of play. But if you're going to kind of say, you know, he's a polished, yeah, looking guy, you know, uh, kind of like Brady esque, yeah, in that way. And that, unless you're succeeding at a real high level, sometimes that doesn't necessarily yeah. play well in the locker room. Yeah, but now he's smiling. He's having fun with his teammates. He's talking about how he feels at home in Memphis, and not that he didn't last year, but at times I don't think he felt like this was, you know. His team. I don't know. It just didn't feel like it does now where he's smiling. He came up and was messing with DeMonte Coxie during his interview the other day. That wasn't something he would have done last year. Every time we've interviewed him, he's been joking and smiling. And you know that wasn't the case last year where right. it was kind of like a, a robot where you're going to get cliche on cliche on cliche. He's been he's opened up a little bit more. He's more honest. Him and uh, Norvell talked a lot on the field while he's doing drills and stuff. And I think it – it definitely seems like there's been a change. And Norvell has talked to him a lot about not overthinking things because he gets in his head too much and I think um, forcing things because at the end of the last year he was trying to force a big play or force this when if you would just do what the offense is meant to do, you're going to end up getting to where you want to be. And that was, that's something they've worked on a lot since the end of the season, I think. How different would our opinion – I mean, I was looking at the numbers. What, 26 touchdowns, 9 interceptions? That's a good – pretty good ratio right how much different would we be thinking of Brady White if he'd have had Anthony Miller to throw to oh it would have been 100% different because think about it this way DeMonte Coxie was the third best receiver on Riley Ferguson's last team like that's in it's insane he had Phil Mayhew to throw to Tony Pollard DeMonte Coxie Joey Magnifico and Sean Dice there was no shortage of weapons and then Memphis made a midseason pivot where they had to they changed kind of the way they were using the tight ends so Sean Dykes and Joey Magnifico were out out in the open less. They were less tar- There was less tar- balls thrown their way. Or in Joey's case, I think he caught like one or two more less passes. Um, but most of those seemed to come at the end of the season. And Dykes really had a drop in production. It didn't seem like he did a lot at all. Um, they definitely want to get the tight ends more involved this year to give him more targets. And they they weren't happy with what happened at receiver last year. Um, they went out and got a few more guys. They're dealing with some injuries right now, but you're going to see guys like a Jeremy Tate, maybe even Calvin Austin the third, who runs track and ran track here in Memphis, broke a bunch of records. Who's only <laughs> they list him at five eleven, I think, and he's my size. Like he's you look, tiny. Him, you look him in the eye. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They weighed him in at 140 pounds last year. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah, he's as fast as lightning, and he once he's able to catch the ball with consistency, I think they're really excited about what he could present but they're doing a lot of development at that position just to help Brady because I think there definitely would be a lot of different like because at times last year with Coxey he's getting the ball thrown on three four five times seven times a game and he's got he's double triple covered I think one game last year he had targeted 12 times and Brady only ended up throwing like 25 passes so 
they, that is something they've had to deal with coming into this spring is continue developing targets for him. Yeah, it kind of seems like they're trying to figure out where that, and they were working on it all last year, where that line is between Brady realizing what he can't do and not trying to force it, but not holding back so much that you fall into full-on game manager mode yeah. and you let opportunities pass you by. Because there are, like, he's a brilliant quarterback. They're like, somebody looked at me the other day and was like, I, I really wish fans would understand everything that he does behind center. We can't mic him up. We can't do this because we just can't. It's not something, you know, how secretive football coaches are. But, like, everything that he does, he's helping placement. He's He drew – tons of guys off sides last year. Helped them win a couple games, changed the tide of a couple games. I think the Houston game, they drew three, four guys off sides in that game, and that's because of him. He's checking into runs when it should be passes. He's changing the plays. He has the freedom to do a lot of stuff. Um, but it's an interesting interesting thing how fans have reacted to him, especially. Well, and, and let's be honest, part of this is what your defense does, right? If your defense is giving up Oh, yeah. A ton of points, then you're then all of a sudden, even though you're being pretty effective on offense, you're having to play comeback football a lot, and he's yeah. not really built to bring you back from a 17 point deficit. That's like, you they, know, well, in the offense, especially when they they were a run first offense, it's really hard to do that and come from behind. Like the two lane game, if they had Riley Ferguson and Anthony Miller out there, or even Anthony Miller out there, it would have been different. But when you've got Daryl Henderson and Tony Pollard and you're having to constantly run the ball, it changes things. It changes the complexion of the game. And then your defense can't ever seem to get a stop. It was a big problem last year. When they got down, they couldn't really come back at times. So, yeah. But I think that will do it for us today. We've gone a little past when we were supposed to. Um, thank you, Don Wade, for joining us. If you um, want to follow Don Wade on Twitter, you can follow him at, at DWadeMEM. Don Rep in Memphis a little bit. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Jonah Jordan. You can follow the Daily Memphian at Daily Memphian. And you can find this podcast and any other podcast from the Daily Memphian on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, the Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place.